you know what a dogwar is? It's a memoir. But instead of being a book about a person, a dogwar is about a dog. And these types of books are growing in popularity. Today, we speak with a successful writer who has penned what People magazine calls a hilarious addition to the dogwar canon. We speak with Kelly Conaboy. Hello and welcome to The Long Leash. I'm James Jacobson. Kelly Conaboy was an accomplished New York Magazine writer when she fostered and then quickly adopted Peter, a small black dog. Kelly, who is the quintessential New Yorker who currently writes for Gawker, found herself obsessed with this new dog and generated endless ideas for magazine stories, all of which were based on her own obsession with this amazingly soulful creature. Her editors, however, they indulged Conaboy's story pitches to a point. But when they finally told her no more Peter-inspired stories, Kelly had to find another outlet. So she turned to Dogwar and penned her own canine memoir about her life with Peter. Here is Kelly Conaboy. Kelly Conaboy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. The Particulars of Peter. (laughs) And before we started, you introduced me to Peter, who is lying right there by your side very comfortably. Yes. Why write a book about your dog? Oh, because I'm obsessed with him. (laughs) Um, I adopted him. And I mean, I'm a writer, so I I had all of these questions about him that I instantly like wanted to turn into writing Mm -hmm. because that's kind of the way my brain works, I guess. But yeah, I I'm so in love with him and obsessed with him. I just want to know everything about him. I want to experience everything I can with him. So the book sort of happened naturally out of that obsession. So the way that you process information, because I mean, when you say you're a writer, I mean, you are a writer with a capital W, very very (laughs) well-respected writer there in New York. Do you use writing as a way to process your thinking and your thoughts? Um, Yes, absolutely. Really (laughs) in an oddly like specific to me way, like I recently wrote a piece because I I was curious about, I have a retainer on the bottom of my teeth and I was curious about (laughs) whether it was normal to have that for your entire life, which I think I may be going to. So I wrote a very long piece about that. (laughs) So yeah, that's just a way to say a lot of my writing is focused on indulging in my very specific Curiosities. (laughs) Curiosities. <laughs> you know, so many people are fans of your writing and they just think that you are rip roaringly hilarious and funny. <laughs> Do you write to be funny or is that just you're just being yourself? It's just kind of how it comes out. <laughs> it, it was like that. I mean, I think it's really just because otherwise I would get bored if I weren't like constantly trying to entertain myself. Mm-hmm. It was sort of the same way writing essays in school or whatever, just, uh, you know, including little things that entertained me just so I would still remain interested in the writing, I guess. So when you're, when you have questions about something, whether it's a retainer or a dog, that's how you get answers. And that's how you basically cogitate about it through the writing process. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's how I make work for myself too. (laughs) I think that's a a really cool thing. And you said you did this in school. So I'm assuming this is a process that you've been using for a while. Yeah. It's just kind of, I don't mean to repeat myself, just like the natural way of working things out, I guess, for me. (laughs) Well, that's fascinating. So you said you had some questions that you wanted to answer and you decided to answer them in writing. And that is what we're all benefited from in terms of this book. That's the output from that. What were the questions that were the input? Oh gosh, (laughs) so many. Well, the book started because I wanted to DNA test Peter. You know, there are a bunch of different options for like dog DNA testing. Um, He looks like a small black lab basically. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea really what he was. So I, I wanted to do that. And then I was also curious about whether the DNA testing that we can do at home is accurate or really worthwhile beyond just like indulging in curiosity. So I wrote a piece about that for this site that doesn't exist anymore, the outline. And that's kind of where the whole book came from. But beyond that, I, I wanted to see if he could, I mean, it's all sort of silly stuff. I wanted to see if he could sense ghosts I wanted to, there's this thing called canine freestyle, which is dancing with your dog. I wanted to see if he would enjoy that, if we could do it together. (laughs) And like, there are different like dog sports you can do. He took lessons in some of those. We went to a big dog festival to see if anything there interested him, which it did not at all. He (laughs) did not care for it. But yeah, the book is mainly just questions I had about dog culture and about Peter. Okay, well, those were a lot of interesting questions, but I, the one that <laughs> sticks out in my mind and probably our listeners is the one about ghosts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what is the answer? Um, the answer for him was it didn't seem like he could really sense ghosts, or if he could, he wasn't um, showing me in a way that I understood. <laughs> How did you do the experiment to ascertain that? Um, we went to a park in the city that is supposedly haunted. Well, my first thought was that we would go somewhere that was haunted by sort of a famous ghost, like a famous person figure. But I didn't <laughs> want him to be intimidated by a human that he did not know. So we instead decided to go to this park that was haunted supposedly by FDR's dog. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's the dog's name? I know that. Um, I'm forgetting. Hold on. Let me look. There's a beautiful statue in Washington. Oh, Fala. Yeah. Yes, Fala. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So so supposedly this park has Fala's ghost in it. Oh, yes. According to legend in New York? According okay. to at least one ghost tour of New York City. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. As a journalist, you got to appreciate the definitive source there. That is like... <laughs> Unrefutable. Okay. Right. So the ghost tour of New York says this park has Fala yes. in it. And uh, Peter, not so much picking up Fala. No. If he if he sensed any sort of spirit, he did not communicate that to me. I also got a, you know, one of those ghost, I mean, maybe you don't know. You can buy ghost hunting tools on like the internet. Oh, um, do tell, Kelly. That are supposed to be able to sense like electronic waves or whatever um, that ghosts are allegedly putting out mm-hmm. and they like beep when there's a ghost near you. So we got one of those. It, it, it did not beep. <laughs> so ultimately the, our particular experiment did not turn up any ghosts, but there have been some ghost hunters who use their dogs as part of their ghost hunting team. So 
Okay. So, I mean, that's kind of a, a pretty far out yes. thing and kind of some of the types of stories that you talk about in the book are these like crazy things like the Wark Fest, Wolf Fest? Uh, Wolfstock. <laughs> Wolfstock, which evidently Peter was not that big of a fan of either. So when you craft these questions that you answer in the book, these are just things that like are musings to you? Yeah, things that I've heard about or read about yeah. or, you know, Canine freestyle is because I just one night on YouTube came across these videos of people like in competition dancing with their dogs. And I like could not stop watching them. And at that point it was like, well, we have to try this. We <laughs> and how did it work out? He learned a few moves. Ultimately, <laughs> a lot of them are, you know, semi failures. <laughs> he learned a few moves though, that we still do now. He can spin, he can go under my leg and we kind of, we have our little routine that we do at home. Yeah. You know, we didn't end up competing, sadly. I think he could have done it, but it just wasn't the right time. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about you and dogs. Is Peter the first dog you had? Uh, my family had dogs, but he's my first solo, you know, adult dog. <laughs> an adult dog. Okay. You know you're an adult when you when you adopt a dog. <laughs> yeah. And I was originally fostering him because I wasn't sure if I was ready to adopt a dog, mm -hmm. but I knew I wanted to care for one and like have one in my life. But that changed almost immediately. Probably day two is when I, I knew that I had to adopt him. Now, how old is Peter at this point? How long have you guys been together? He's about seven and we've been together for about four and a half years. Okay. And he's basically always as he is today, at your side. Yes. Because you oh, yeah. basically work from home. You're a writer, and, and then when you go out in New York, Peter goes with you. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, yeah. We're rarely apart. In the book, you talk a little bit about, I think, your language, a codependent relationship. Is that what you would say you guys have? Yes, though I think somebody pointed out to me that I'm using the term wrong, so <laughs> maybe not, but I'm certainly as dependent on him as he is on me, you know, since I'm in charge of giving him food and water and walking him, um, he's sort of in charge of all of my mental and emotional well-being. <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about on Dog Podcast Network as, as dogs, as therapists, dogs, as psychologists. Mm -hmm. Does Peter have that role for you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, even in, you know, pre-pandemic life, mm -hmm. I would hate to think of what it was like without him, but particularly in the last two years. I can't even imagine how I would have survived without him. He's really my stabilizing force. So let's go back to the earliest parts of the pandemic 10 years ago, uh, <laughs> whatever this was, March of, of 2020. And we were all getting the sense that, hey, we need to lock down. And this is something that we haven't seen in, you know, in 100 years or so. What were the thoughts going through your head? And how was Peter a balm for all of that? Um. Yeah, just his presence is is so soothing. But yeah, the thoughts, I mean, the thoughts everyone have just terrified for other people, slight terror for myself. Also there at the beginning, there was a nervousness that dogs could maybe get COVID. I'm thank God that's not really that much of an issue or an issue at all. But I think a sort of a strange thing as it went on, immediately, a lot of my friends who have dogs were talking about 
you know, how bad they felt for their dogs that now, you know, they have to be indoors a lot more. They closed the dog parks in the city and they couldn't go to their, you know, the ones who went to doggy daycare couldn't do that anymore. And this sort of sadness about what it was doing to their dogs evolved over the first few months to just like, thank God we have them because what will we do without like, (laughs) just it evolved from like sadness and like terror to like just appreciation, which was sort of nice (laughs) Mm -hmm. to see. But yeah, I was living alone at the time and it was just me and Peter and yeah. He was my, I mean, not as, as if he isn't always, but yeah, he was my entire world, basically. <laughs> and he was great. Do you get the sense that he had a sense that something had changed? I actually wrote a post about that. I was at The Cut at New York Magazine at the time. I talked to, I'm sort of forgetting it now, but some sort of dog specialist about whether they thought dogs knew something was up. Mm-hmm. And the sense they got and the sense that I got and probably most other dog owners got is that they certainly knew something was different. I mean, their routine had changed. They're so intuitive and sensitive to any sort of change that, you know, they, I don't think knew that there was a pandemic happening, but certainly that you were scared and you were home and things were not the same, which is, you know, it's nice that they were there with us. I heard that you had pitched so many stories to the editors at New York Magazine. They said, enough, no more dog stories from you, Kelly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was every pitch meeting like, well, here's what I'm thinking this week about Peter. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, okay, that's, I mean, they let me write a decent amount of stuff. I mean, they let me build a gingerbread house for Peter for like a Christmas post. And around COVID, I was doing posts about, you know, like that post about dogs and you know, how to help animals in shelters and and that sort of stuff. So they let me do a good amount. But yeah, at some point they were like, okay, that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) So the national response is, I wrote a book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. it just all went into every chapter of the book (laughs) instead. Well, I've always had a fascination with New Yorkers and dogs because there is this, you know, well, I'll ask you, do you think there's something special about New Yorkers and dogs? Yes. I mean, I think it's strange because like, it's not a very lonely city, but I think because you're, you know, around people all the time, but I think it can be a very lonely city and you're in, you know, this small space. And I think having to be in a small space with a dog just naturally brings you like closer and makes you more attached. And I think there's probably a certain personality type in New York City that, uh, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Actually, I don't know. I take that back. That was going to be mean. I was going to say that is that's sort of like a self-obsession that kind of translates to something that becomes part of you. So you have all these dog Instagrams and, you know, people being very obsessive and public facing about their dogs, as I am, too. But <laughs> Well, yeah, New Yorkers are not are shy retiring a lot and their dogs, I think, often soften a lot of New Yorkers mm-hmm. in, in that way. And, and people who, you know, might not never talk to each other will talk to one another in the park and they don't know each other's names, but they know their dogs. Yes, exactly. It's so true. And then of course, New York has the whole elevator thing, which, you know, for most dogs around the world is kind of an unusual thing. (laughs) That's really true. I didn't think about that, but yeah. (laughs) And there's a lot to smell in New York and there are just so many things about New York. And, uh, 
I could go on about dogs in New York, but I, I think it's a fascinating thing. And I, and I meet some of the most interesting dog writers who live somewhere in New York. Mm -hmm. And so you share your home with Peter and... And now I, I, I didn't when I was writing the book, but I live with my boyfriend and his dog named Frank now. Okay. So what is that like balancing a boyfriend and a boyfriend's dog? <laughs> I would say it's probably harder for them to balance us than us to balance. They're both very chill. Oh, Frank and Peter are just fine. Yes. And Frank and Chris, they're both very easygoing. I think Peter and I are a little more like, we need our space. <laughs> Kind of, you know, we might be harder to get, I mean, to live with. They're super easy to live with. And Peter and Frank are very easy with each other. They don't, you know, play much, but they don't fight. They just kind of exist, which is nice. It's peaceful. Awesome. Well, Kelly, we're going to take a break right now. But when we come back, I want to ask you about this whole genre of dog memoir or dogoir. We'll be right back. <laughs> And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. It's a strange thing to do, sprinkle this powder on my food, but I wouldn't have it any other way. My time with you is precious and irreplaceable, and I'm thrilled to be with you for as long as possible. Here's to puppy playtime and senior snoozes. <laughs> no matter how old I get, I want my ever pup. It just makes me feel good in this life and the next, and the next, and the next. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back with Kelly Conaboy. Kelly, so 
Your book fits in a category, I guess, that is an ever-growing category in the publishing industry of, for lack of a better word, dog memoirs, or I've seen it called dog wars. <laughs> would you say that's true, that that's where your book fits? Yeah, I would say definitely. <laughs> and I, I didn't really know of it as a genre when I set out to write the book. Although my one of my favorite books is My Dog Tulip, if you know that book. I do not. J.R. Ackerley. Oh, you should. You, you need to read it. It's so lovely, which predates the term, but I think sort of falls under the category. What do you like about that book? What's inspiring? The writing is just very sparse, but beautiful and funny in a way that is just natural. And it's just a beautiful book. <laughs> yeah. I highly recommend it. But beyond that, I didn't really allow myself to read a lot of dog war <laughs> before <laughs> because I was afraid of unintentionally ripping things off. I'm always mm -hmm. <laughs> scared of that. But I actually didn't really know too much about the term until people started calling it that. <laughs> Got it. But okay. yeah, it, it is what it is. Why do you think there are so many, there's this proliferation more popular now than ever of these dog memoir books? Well, I, I mean, I can only speak from personal experience, but obviously thoughts about my dog just took up so much of my mind as a writer that I couldn't really write anything else, at least not until I wrote this. And I think that must be true for a lot of other writers who have dogs because, you know, you write about the thing you're most passionate about or the thing that makes you the most curious. And for me, it's Peter. And I feel like it has to be the same way for a lot of other writers. And I think people just want to read about dogs because dogs are soothing and the world is not very soothing. <laughs> The world is not soothing, so this may be a, a way to calm us. So in, uh, I don't know, generations gone by, they would write about love <laughs> or ephemeral things, and now people are, are interested in dogs. Yeah, they've grown in popularity, I guess, or at least talking about them has and connecting with them. Well, in your book, you talk about the question that so many dog lovers have, which is, is it okay for my dog to share my bed with me? <laughs> yeah. And right now, I have two dogs that share my bed with me, and one of them is quite large. So <laughs> but yeah, that question was, I mean, I was curious what the answer would be, but I knew going into it that if the answer was that it wasn't okay, it was not going to change my behavior at all. Yeah. But luckily, the answer was, you know, that it's basically fine. For women, there are studies that it actually improves your sleep. For everybody overall, it at least only makes your sleep worse a little bit. And, you know, you're not going to get any diseases from them. <laughs> so overall, I think we should be doing it. It's uh, what I look forward to the most, going to sleep at night with sweet Peter, breathing his little dog snores. <laughs> and it's so nice to wake up with him there in the morning. I love it. Did you have trouble sleeping before you had Peter? Yes. <laughs> It's also funny, you know, comparing me and Peter to Chris and Frank, now that we're all together all the time, where Chris and Frank can just sleep through the whole night. Peter and I, it feels like we're constantly checking in on each other, <laughs> basically. And he also has a peculiar thing where he'll nudge me because he wants to go under the covers, and then he'll come out of the covers, and then he'll nudge me because he wants to go under the covers, <laughs> which is very sweet, but does keep us both waking up throughout the night. <laughs> That's great. So you said that you check on him and he checks on you. Is it more than just like, hey, I want under the covers? Um, this has sort of faded away as we've been together. But I used to 
just be so nervous that like if I couldn't hear him breathing, I would have to like put my ear really close and make sure he was breathing. Or if I thought he made a strange noise, I would have to check in on him. But I guess I still do it now. I just go over to like pet him, make him understand that I'm there and that I love him. Not that he's worried at all. (laughs) It's like totally my own (laughs) fears. But you know, it's nice. I like seeing him. Is there any jealousy between your boyfriend and Peter? <laughs> um, well, like, we won't even ask about Frank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do frequently ask Peter if he'll marry me, which I have to assume my boyfriend does not love. <laughs> mm. But it's just, you know, it's just a joke. I- I'm not going to marry him, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Unless he says yes. But the jury's still yeah. out on that I'll one. I'll still keep Kelly. asking, but it doesn't seem like he's going to accept yeah. Well, you know, it's the whole th- opposable thumb mm. problem in terms of where is the wedding I know, that's, going to that's go. so true. We could do maybe a wedding uh, bracelet for him. I'll have to think about it. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> Tiffany, I should go to Tiffany's. And, now, there's another article, like you go to Tiffany's or you go to one of those New York yeah. uh, jewelry stores. My fiance is a really big. <laughs> I'm sure they do it. <laughs> so this is your first book that you've written. You've written a lot. As I said, you are a very well-loved writer in New York, but this is your first book. Mm-hmm. Yes. When you told friends and family and, I don't know, agents or whatever, that this was going to be the thing that you staked your first book on, what what kind of reaction did they have? Um, pretty much unanimously, it was like, of course. <laughs> and that's the thought that I had, too. I mean, I never really had a desire even or an idea for a book before this one. But yeah, the reaction was, if Kelly is going to write a book, this is obviously what she's going to be writing a book about. And my agent was actually the one who, I I was thinking about this book and she contacted me after I wrote the DNA piece and said, you know, this sounds like the beginnings of a book. And I said, I agree. (laughs) So that was a good jumping off point too. So are there future books in the works? Um, not right now. <laughs> I don't have another idea and I don't I don't know. I mean, I would love to do another Peter book, but I don't know if if I should. <laughs> if you should because I just don't know if if people want another Peter book. <laughs> what kind of reception have you received from your readers? Dog people love it. Before this, I was sort of a general interest writer. I just wrote for everybody. Mm-hmm. But this has definitely had the best reception among dog people, which is obvious. I mean, it's for dog people. <laughs> it's about a dog. Right. It's about being obsessed with a dog. So, yeah, it's actually been very nice hearing from people say like, oh, my God, I'm so glad someone else thinks this way. Oh, I'm so glad someone else feels weird when they throw out a whisker or feels you know, like they want to sleep in bed with their dog or, you know, just loves their dog to this kind of insane extent. (laughs) Yeah. And you certainly got praised in the press and by a lot of reviewers as well. Yeah. People were very nice about it, which I owe all to Peter. Well, I think one of the criticisms, at least in some of the reviews that I saw from readers on Amazon, you use salty language. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I knew that was going to be an issue, that it was sort of blue in some spots. And what was the creative choice to do that? Um, It's just what felt natural to me at that point. And I felt like changing that, I mean, obviously, since I do see that criticism, I'm thinking, oh, God, why did I do that? I should have just, why did I feel like I had to do that? But at the time, I felt like changing the book in any way for an audience would have made me regret more than doing it the way that I felt was the right way to do it. 
especially if that didn't work, I would have been like, you know, damn, I should have just done it the way I wanted to do it. You wanted to do it raw, which is kind of the way dogs are, right? I mean, they bring Mm -hmm. that out in us in some ways. They don't censor themselves. Exactly. (laughs) I'm going to steal that next time I have to. (laughs) There you go. go. Although here at DPN, you know what? When people say salty things and we want to maintain our family rating, we don't bleep it out. We bark it out. That's really good. You know what? We should have released that sort of bark edition of the book where... (laughs) Ah, just woofs. Yeah. Well, it works well in audio. So if you want to say anything nasty now, you you can and we'll we'll bark it out. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> well, Kelly, thank you so much for being with us. I really enjoyed your book. I think this is a great read, and it is definitely for dog lovers to get a sense of the adoration, the connection that you have, and you articulate it so well. And it is really funny. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. This has been so great. Dog memoirs or dog wars. Have you read one that you absolutely love? Perhaps maybe you've even written one. Well, we'd like to hear your thoughts on this growing genre of books. So please get in touch with us and let us know what you think about dog wars. You can reach us via our website at longleashshow.com. That's longleashshow.com. And while you're there, you can check out our entire back catalog of episodes. If you enjoyed today's show, please tell a friend about us and be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app. The Long Leash is just one of a growing slate of shows for dog lovers by dog lovers from Dog Podcast Network. Please stay tuned for more information on episodes from other DPN shows that you can listen to right now. I'm James Jacobson. I'll see you next time. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.